Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I discuss some of the pitfalls of backtesting investment strategies and the things investors should pay attention to and the questions they should ask when looking at the results of backtests. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. All right. Today, we're going to talk about um, backtesting and backtesting really over the last, I'd say, 10 or 15 years has become much more prevalent in um, the investment management business. I think with the advent of computerized strategies, factor-based investing, and a lot of the work done out of the academic world that rely or do these back tests, you know, you're seeing or we've seen more and more of these. So I think today what we wanted to do was discuss the pitfalls of back testing and then also I think what investors want to look at and how they how they should assess and the things they should realize when they see a back test and this is largely we're going to play off an article you wrote from you know in the fall last year called the pitfalls of back testing but maybe to start um do you want to sort of just shake out what we what we have seen what we're seeing in terms of back testing in the money management and asset management world and some of the things that maybe investors want to sort of think about at a high level when they see these things? Yeah, as you said, as as firms are launching so many quant products these days, you're, you're seeing many, many backtests. And, you know, one of the interesting things about backtests is if, if you look over time and say how many, ma- say how many ma- active managers outperform the S&P 500, the number is something like 80% underperform. If you look at backtests, 100% outperform. So obviously something is going on with backtests that is leading them all to show successful results, and then those results are not translating into the real world. So what we wanted to talk about today is some things to look at in backtest to sort of judge the quality of them, to judge how much you should rely on them. But I think I think the first thing is everybody's default in terms of backtest should be, I should ignore this backtest. So when a backtest is put in front of you, your default setting should be, this is not of value to me. And then as you build up and look at it, maybe it will be of value, but most of them are not of value. And so if you can start in that default setting, you know, sometimes people see these great results and they start in the default setting of, wow, this is an amazing strategy. I should follow this. If you can set your default setting to this is not, you know, this is not a worthwhile test and then work your way up. I think that's a a better way to do it because so many of these back tests have issues that if, if you start in that negative side, I think it works out better. Yeah. And by the way, just for disclosure purposes, I mean, a lot of the strategies that we run on Validia, we are, relying to some extent on the back tests that are done either in the academic world or in these books or academic papers. But then what we do is we sort of capture the strategy and we try to run it and verify it independently. So it's not that we don't utilize back tests or look at back tests and even back test ourselves. But I think there's a difference between extracting a strategy that's being written about and back tested and implementing it than let's say trying to data mine or create a brand new strategy and running it backwards. 
Right. Our, our goal with our strategies is always to try to follow published strategies exactly as they're published. And so we try not to run into these traps of constantly tweaking the test to try to make things better. We try to you know, follow exactly what's published. But having said that, you know, we have to verify that whoever did that test followed the proper rules because they could, as much as we're trying to avoid this stuff, if they did it, it carries on to us. And right. so we'll talk about some of the issues with backtesting, but we've tried to follow strategies where those issues are either minimized or not present. Mm -hmm. So you came up with five things that you think, and these are pretty high level points, but that, you know, an investor would want to look at or think about at least when a backtest is put in front of them. And the first one was, you know, does the test account for human emotions? Um, so what were you, what, what did you mean by that? Yeah, so I'm not talking about the test itself, because obviously the test itself cannot account for human emotions. It's a quantitative right. test. What, what I'm talking about is, essentially what I'm talking about is, can you stick with this strategy? And so as you analyze back-tested results, you know, sometimes you'll see these really great returns at the end, but you'll see a lot of volatility in the middle. And if, a, if an actual investor could not stick with this strategy, they're not going to see the returns at the end. So that, that's what I'm getting at is... As much as people like to look at the ending return, the ride along the way that got you to that ending return is really important. Right. So, so would the investor actually be able to stick with a, you know, you might have a strategy that let's say has a 20% annualized return over whatever period of time, let's say a decade or, you know, 20 year period. But if the volatility of that strategy was double the market, then the reality is the vast majority of investors aren't going to be able to stick with that type of strategy. So you want to kind of look, I think, underneath at the risk statistics as well with any of these back tests. Right. And also if it's when it's underperforming, if it's underperforming by 20% in a year or 30% in a year, that's very hard for anybody to stick with. And so, so I think it's important just to look at the totality of it. And right. the more the returns are sort of in the middle, the easier it is to stick with. The more you've got the 30% underperformance and then the 30% outperformance, the more difficult it is to stick with. By the way, I think it probably goes the other way as well in terms of strategies um, looking a lot less risky on paper and then obviously something blowing up and you know then the floor falls out from under the strategies because a lot of these back tests, you know, what they're trying to show is better returns and lower risk. And so you also got to be mindful of that is that, you know, if you see something, and I think we'll talk about this maybe in another one of the points, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but, you know, if something looks uh, too good to be true or looks to be like a great performing strategy with half the risk of the market, you know, that's probably unlikely as well. Yeah, and that, that goes to one something we're going to talk to in a little bit, but if you test a strategy in a certain period and it's a short period of time, you might see totally different characteristics than what the strategy will show over the long term. So if I were to test, you know, a large cap growth strategy in the past decade, I'm going to see great returns. I'm going to see not that much volatility. It's going to look like the greatest strategy ever. But if I widen that out and I look at the long term, well, large cap growth is not a great place to be invested in the long term. So it's important that you look at the period that's being covered and understand what happened in that period and understand how that impacts the strategy you're looking at. All right. Okay. Um, the second point that you made was, um, you know, that, to ask the question if a strategy has actually sound economic reasoning behind it. Yeah. You know, if, if you see something work, there should be some sort of reason it worked. You know, there's been some, uh, there's been some academic tests where they just to prove this point, they did some data mining and they, they just went through and ran every single variable in their fundamental database through you know, an optimizer and came up with a strategy that outperformed every other strategy. 
But when you looked at the results that came out, the actual fundamental criteria they were using made no sense whatsoever. And, and that was the intent of it. The intent was, of it was to show you can build any strategy that looks great and you can combine a bunch of variables together. But at the end of the day, it has to make sense. There has to be some reason this should work. So something like value, for instance, there's a reason value should work. You know, paying less for a unit of earnings or a unit of cash flow over time, that should work. There's a reason for that. But some other strategies, you don't see a reason at all. And so it's just important there's some sort of economic basis for what you're seeing. And just to digress for a minute, the concept of data mining is, for those that may not know, it's, you know, when someone basically puts together a number of variables in a, in a back test that really have nothing to do with each other, but they're just picking the ones that look best and look most optimal in the back test. They don't, they're not really based on anything other than, you know, a data mining exercise. So I think that, and a lot of back tests are done that way. I mean, people are looking at, you know, hundreds and hundreds of variables to try to find the mix of variables that may not have anything to do with each other that sort of make the most sense. And, and you know, that, that, can be a, that can be a very slippery slope when constructing these investment strategies because you want to try to not be doing that because the fact is, is that those, the, there's randomness that those, that those variables are working. There's, there's not really anything they're based on. Yeah, there's this saying that if you torture the data enough, it'll confess. And, and that's what data mining is. Data mining is just continue to run tests over and over and over again, continue to throw variables in and out. Just do whatever it takes to find something that works. And, and that can be those types of strategies that are data mined never work going forward. They always look great in the history and they never work going forward. So it's, it's just important to try to avoid that. The third um, thing that you discussed was, you know, the period of time that the back test covers. So does the back test cover a long enough period of time for it to be statistically significant? Yeah, you know, you want to see at least 30 years and, and preferably longer than that. And what we talked about before is a good example of that. If, if I want to test a large cap growth strategy in the past decade, it's going to look tremendous. If, if I want to test a value strategy in the past decade, I'm going to lead to the, it's going to lead to the conclusion that value doesn't work at all. And so the period you cover is really important. And, and even very long periods can still be missing things. So as an example, even if you test back 30 years right now, you don't have the high interest rates and the inflation of the 70s in your results. And so what if my strategy's one weakness is in those periods, you know, where there's high inflation and high rates, right. my, my strategy's not going to work. Well, if I test back 30 years right now, I'm not going to know that. And so the more data you have, the better, I think, mm -hmm. as you look at this, because the more different market environments you encounter and the more you can see the flaws in strategies. I'll always remember, I went to, um, it was one of the Ritholtz conferences, and actually Corey Hofstein, who's somebody we've gotten to know over the years, was there. And they were talking about back tests. And I remember this always, this will always stay with me. He said, if you're, and he was kind of discussing this as like an advisor, if you were an advisor or let's say an investment consultant, but he said, if, if someone brings you a back test and, and in the back test, there's no periods of underperformance, the first thing you should tell them is you need to go back and test it over a longer period of time because no, no strategy works in all periods of time and and, and your point here is really what Corey, I think, was saying is that, you know, you got to test it over a very long period of time because inevitably there, there should be, there will be a period when that strategy doesn't work, even in the back test. And being able to see that and understand it and think about it and understand sort of the why behind it, that's very important. Yeah, and that actually plays into our point number four, which is does the test show periods where the strategy struggles? And for me, when I look at a back test, I don't look at the long-term return as the first thing I look at. The first thing I do is dig in and say, where was it bad? 
Um, because first of all, if like like you said, Corey said, if there's nowhere that it's bad, it's obviously not a valid test, and you can throw it out. And it, it might be because they didn't do enough, they didn't cover a large enough period of time. It might be because they just data mined it, and they they just kept developing strategies until they found something that worked all the time. But there always should be periods that it struggles, and also to me, those periods should be periods where you expect it to struggle. So if somebody comes to me with a value strategy that in the past 10 years has done really well, my first reaction is it's not really a value strategy. So I want to see that what the strategy is being presented as is what it actually has. It, it actually is. So mm -hmm. it, during a period where large cap growth is dominating, a value strategy should not do well. So to me, it's, it's a negative if the value strategy has done well in the past decade because it's not a value strategy. And that means when value comes back, if what I want is a value strategy, I'm probably not going to get value in the way I expect it. Right. And by the way, when we're talking value here, we're talking in the traditional like academic sense of value. There are Correct. different ways to define value. So, um, but all right. And the fifth point is that the, does the, you know, does the back test assume t some type of knowledge um, that, you know, wasn't available or wouldn't have been known at the time um, that you're back testing back to. So that's, this is an interesting one. If you want to kind of, this is, yeah, this is one of the hardest parts about backtesting because you can't unknow what you already know. And so I know that over the past 30 years, interest rates have been consistently falling. I know that over this past decade, value has struggled. So when I'm building a test, that's in the back of my mind. And as I develop my criteria, I have a tendency to want to develop criteria that's going to do well in this, based on these things I already know. It's really hard to overcome that because you can't unknow what you know. And so no, nobody's going to go back right now and say, let me test a strategy that does well when interest rates, you know, over the past 30 years when interest rates are rising, because you know it's going to do poorly. And so trying to limit that, trying to to some degree unknow what you already know is, is a challenge for anybody running tests. But it's also a bias that shows up in these tests because everybody, every everybody's knowledge of what already happened tends to reflect itself in the criteria of a back test. Uh, I'm just curious, does that relate at all to the AQR superstar study where they um, looked at like the performance of Buffett and Lynch and Bill Gross and then they tried to regress their performance to factors? Um, yeah, well, and then... no, to some ahead. extent it does, to some extent it does, but AQR sort of acknowledged that in the paper. You know, okay. AQR was try not trying to say that, you know, there was no alpha for Buffett because it can be, it can be, you know, now we know what we know now about factors tells you a lot of this was based on factors because at the time people didn't know what we know now about factors. So it doesn't in any way, the AQR study that showed you could break down, you know, performance for people like Buffett into factors doesn't mean that, you know, you could have done that then. So mm -hmm. I think you're right. It is reflected in there, but AQR also acknowledged that. That okay. The goal here was not to say Buffett didn't add alpha or Buffett didn't add value. The goal was just to say, knowing what we know now, a lot of what he did can be broken down into factors. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, so those are hopefully five, you know, points that you can um, take away from this. You know, this isn't, and there's probably a lot of other things too, when looking at back tests, this is supposed to be like a starting point for investors. I mean, I think back tests are important. They can be useful. But I also think they should be, like you said in your your piece, they should be viewed with you know a healthy degree of skepticism and just an understanding that you know these back tests are created and to to a large extent they're used in marketing materials and the way to try to get you know investors into these strategies. But 
looking at them through the lens and trying to understand the pluses and minuses, I think are, are you know, are important for many investors, especially as more and more of these factor-based and quantitative strategies um, are developed. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to share? Uh, no, I just, I think the general point is you should always be skeptical of back tests. And, and if you can do that, and, and if you can look at some of these points we talked about here, I think it'll serve investors really well because the, the general tendency is to want to believe these things. And if you start with a general tendency not to, I, I think you'll be much better off. Great. All right. Thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at @jjcarboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.